number one and the most important thing is staying organized. A lot of times people come to me because they're like, hey, I made close to 200K this year, but I literally don't know where my money went. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Shanea Wilson, founder and CEO of Fola Financial. Shanea is a serial entrepreneur, certified public accountant, and a real estate investor. Her firm, Fola, is dedicated to assisting clients, specifically entrepreneurs, creatives, and small businesses, navigate their financial journey. So today, Shanea is going to share her best accounting advice for new and growing entrepreneurs, what to pay attention to, what mistakes to avoid, and so much more, as well as her own story about building her practice. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Shanea, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Shanea, S-H-E-N-E-Y-A, for the complete show notes and to download your free Design Your Passion Project workbook. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Shanea, how are you? Welcome to the Smart Money Mamas show. I am doing amazing. Super happy to be here. Can't wait to get into this conversation. I am so excited to talk about accounting, which I know not everyone (laughs) loves talking about accounting. Tell us about what you do and why you love your work. Hello, everyone. Again, I am Shanae Wilson, aka The People CPA. I am a certified public accountant in the state of New York. I have a business, Full Life Financial, where I provide tax preparation, tax planning, tax strategy, bookkeeping, bookkeeping training, and financial consulting and projections. So really am focused on giving solutions to those who are beginning creative entrepreneurs or more established business owners that need some financial foundation structuring. How did you get into this line of work? What were you doing beforehand? Before starting FOLA, I was at PricewaterhouseCoopers, so a big four accounting firm doing audit work. There, I was focused on technology, media, and telecommunications. So we were working with huge tech giants. I was on like the Viacom account. It was super cool. But I quickly realized that my passion, I love accounting, loved it, loved it, loved it. But I wanted to be able to impact my community a lot more. And during that time, some of my friends were transitioning out of corporate to be full-time entrepreneurs. And they're like, I need a CPA. So I'm like, all right, maybe there's a demand there. And honestly, that's kind of what I started going off of. It was originally the demand from my friends, and then it just was their friends and their friends, and then here we are, 400 plus clients later, we're still here. <laughs> Do you specialize in any certain type of entrepreneur? No, that's a really good question, because I know people like to push this idea of like niching, but when it comes down to finances, numbers and numbers, so I typically don't specialize. I have clients that range from being digital marketers, some YouTube influencers, But then I have restaurant clients. I have clients that do electronic lighting and installation. There's not really a a niche market that I focus on because, again, numbers are numbers. As long as you know how to put them together to tell a story, you can do your job as an accountant. Some people are going to be listening and be like, YouTube influencers with a CPA. Why would you need a CPA when you're running a YouTube channel? And I think this is a big problem. People get into side hustles or into these businesses And they don't even know what they need to know when it comes to accounting. So if you're a side hustler, what are some basic things you have to be doing with your numbers? 
Number one, and the most important thing is staying organized. A lot of times people come to me because they're like, hey, I made close to 200K this year, but I literally don't know where my money went. <laughs> and it's, it's super This common. happens on the personal finance side too. I mean, <laughs> we're not judging over here, guys. We promise you that. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Especially when you are operating as a business, whether you are a full-blown business owner or a freelancer, understanding what your bottom line is, is very important because that's where you make decisions. You should know exactly how much revenue you made in Q1. Was it because of a holiday? Was it because of a trend that was happening? Did you follow the wave? How much did you spend on advertising? This will allow you to better scale your business because now you can make more executive decisions. You can say, well, I know based off of historical performance, I performed extremely well in Q4 because I did a Christmas line. For Q4 of this current year, I'm going to focus on making sure that I put my marketing resources into that line so that I can double what I did last year. If you don't have your numbers, you have no story to tell yourself about your business. Essentially, that's what they kind of define accounting as being is the language of business. If you know your numbers, you know how you're operating, you know how to move forward by making decisions, and you can really grow and scale. So whether you are a YouTube influencer, digital marketer, it's important for you to know your numbers. So that's for sure, number one. Um, number two is if you are operating as a business, you might as well go ahead and incorporate and be one, right? <laughs> Because why not? There's people who ask me like, oh, should I start an LLC? Should I not? Should I be a sole proprietor? Honestly, I always just hit them off with this fact. The tax law is built for those who own businesses. So if you want to benefit from living like the wealthy and not paying a large amount in taxes, you need to start carrying yourself as a full-blown business. Because even with COVID, we've seen that even though the stimulus check was passed for $1,200, my business clients received maybe 40 to 50K to 100K in funding to help them support themselves throughout COVID. So why not put yourself in a position, and this could be for digital marketers, if you just are a solopreneur and it's just you, you can go ahead and incorporate so that you can establish business history, hopefully build some business credit, again, be looked at by the government and society as a business because you're a lot more respected. And for those reasons, you do get a lot more tax breaks. Okay. There is a lot of things we got to talk about. <laughs> here. The first being, give us an example of how the tax code is built to benefit businesses. Here's two scenarios. We have person A who is an employee of a well-established corporation and then person B who has their own. So person A makes 100K a year. So they're doing pretty well. But as we know, once you have a salary on paper, what you're really receiving in terms of net pay is not the same. The thing about being an employee is that your taxes are pretty much fixed. Once you elect your withholding your allowances, you're going to get taxes withheld from your paycheck based off of your prorated rate for taxes for depending upon your filing status and how many exemptions you're claiming. In most scenarios, person A is probably paying around thirty dollars to $35,000 in taxes throughout the year. So they're really seeing maybe $65,000 a year. But again, hundred k sounds good on paper. That's how these companies <laughs> get you, right? So person B, on the other hand, is a full-blown entrepreneur. Let's say person B actually has 
an LLC and they elected to be taxed as an S corp. Typically, that's kind of what we convert most of our clients to do because it is a lot, a lot more tax beneficial. Person B can now get a net income of around 100K, pay themselves a salary from their, their wages, from their job, from their business. So say, for example, that salary is 50K, but they netted 100, right? That remaining 50K is now taxed at ordinary dividend rates. So instead of paying 35% of taxes, most of my clients end up paying an effective tax rate of just 20%. And again, that's from that same 100K. Sometimes it's a lot lower. And here's the perfect example of why it's lower. As of 2018, with the new tax law rollout, there's this deduction called the Qualified Business Income Deduction. If you have a pass-through entity, you can go ahead and deduct almost an additional 20% of your net income tax-free. Person B not only netted 100K, they're going to lower their income probably to 80K, pay themselves a little salary, and then take the remaining amount of their net income as dividends and pay ordinary income taxes on that income. So overall, their effective tax rate can literally, in most cases, drop down to even being 15%. Imagine making 100K and you're paying $15,000 as opposed to $35,000 from an employee. So when you are a business owner, it really comes down to being able to take advantage of the tax code. So take advantage of deductions. When you are an employee, you really don't have much to play with unless you itemize your deductions. But there's a bunch of deductions and tax breaks for business owners because the government does want to incentivize those who own businesses to continue on because guess what? Business owners who are successful ultimately employ people. And unemployment is always an issue with the government. So why not cut you a tax break if we know that you're going to employ some of our citizens? And that's kind of why the tax code is more favorable for them. I got two questions. And some of these listeners are going to be like, you guys are getting in the weeds here. But I got two questions <laughs> for you. One, that example that you just walked through, is that different if you're a sole proprietor versus an LLC? Obviously, the S-corp part is different. But you still have more options as a sole proprietor than you do as a traditional employee, right? Yes. So when you are a sole proprietor, you are now filing your taxes on a form Schedule C. And there you can go ahead and deduct a lot of your expenses. So for example, most of our solopreneurs that we work with who are just sole proprietors are able to deduct a large a portion of their rent. You know, living is the most expensive cost that we each incur. So imagine being able to deduct, you know, maybe one fourth or one fifth of your rent on your tax return. When you're an employee, you cannot do that. Your company that you work for can, if they wanted to, you know, compensate you for working from home, they can do that. But you as an employee, especially because a lot of us are working from home now, like you can't deduct your rent. That sucks. But if you are a business owner and you like have your office space set up and then you have a room designated just for storage of your products, you can now deduct the square footage of that storage room and also your office space and figure out the allocation between usage for business over usage for personal and multiply that fraction to see how much you can pay, you can deduct from your income just for having rent expense. And that also is going to include, include utilities. So if you're paying for your light bill, your Wi-Fi, if you're buying supplies for your office space, so some of us buy Kleenex or whatever, Clorox, whatever it may be, my clients deduct those things too because you have to keep your office space sanitary, right? Even if it comes down to buying coffee for your home office, that's deductible as well. Again, it opens you up to a, a way larger door of what you can deduct 
because ultimately deductions are what lowers your taxable income and your tax is calculated on how high or low your taxable income is. Okay. I'm starting to see why we definitely need a CPA right? <laughs> <laughs> running a business. But my second question is just about the S-Corp for one second. So my understanding with the S-Corp is that you need to at least be of the size where you can pay yourself a regular salary, right? Before you can switch to an S-Corp. So you necessarily don't have to be at that stage yet, but when once you start netting a sufficient amount and you can, the IRS can, and if you haven't, the IRS can argue back and say, well, you can't pass through this 100K and not pay 15.3% in payroll taxes. You need to pay yourself something. So that does happen. People get back audited all the time. So you can create an S-Corp now and maybe this year I only did $20,000. Obviously, that's not a sufficient salary to pay myself. I mean, unless you live in like a an area where living is cheap, but I'm from New York, y'all, and it's very <laughs> expensive out here. <laughs> 20K ain't gonna cut it. Nope. But, um, <laughs> but once you get to that point where you are earning a sufficient amount of income to sustain a salary, the IRS does expect for you to transition from having that net income be completely passed through to paying some amount in payroll taxes. And that's going to be a FICA, Medicare, Social Security, et cetera. One of the things that comes up, Shania, is I'm starting my side hustle. I don't make a lot of money. I'm going to figure out all this accounting stuff, QuickBooks, FreshBooks, whatever I want to use. Once I'm making more money, I'll figure it out later. Would you recommend that? Because I'm an accountant, I'm very cheap, right? Very, very cheap. So my strategy with coaching some of these clients are keeping costs relatively low in the beginning stages of your business. I don't ever recommend for people to start a business and jump into buying all of these software and technologies and because they think that they need it in their heads. Again, the only purpose of these things is to stay organized. So if you don't even have adequate operating expenses passing through your bank account every day, you may not need a full-blown bookkeeping service like QuickBooks or Zero yet. In the meantime, I do recommend for them to obviously open up a business account. Most of them, you can find a, a good free one. Because at least if you're using your one debit card and having your income deposited to that, that debit card, paying your expenses from that debit card, your bank statements can even give you some information about how you're netting, right? Typically with those type of clients, I do provide them a free Excel sheet that I created for them to organize their finances in that Excel sheet. Because again, that's sufficient for now. As long as you're organized, that's fine. Once you get to the point where business is picking up and you no longer want to do the manual bookkeeping, then you want to think about having an actual bookkeeping software. And that's perfect. So I don't ever say to rush into it. Firstly, you want to make sure that your business idea, your business model is actually one that's going to be profitable. Before you jump into purchasing all of these softwares and stuff, you want to focus on building your business and just documenting as you go along what you're spending money on, how much you're making, what you expect to make. And that could just be done in a regular Excel file. That makes a ton of sense. But we're, we're still tracking. We're not waiting yes. to start paying attention until later. We're just waiting to buy the tools. Yes. Okay, Track I got you. from day one, especially because even if you haven't incorporated yet, you can still deduct all of the costs that you incurred up to your business's inception as startup costs. So why not have an Excel sheet that shows exactly how much you spent over the past one or two or three years just working on the business, you know? And then once you do start it, now you have all of this cost that you can go ahead and deduct on your first tax return because you are organized. So organization <laughs> is for sure key. 
Okay, so clients got to have to come to you. I'm making an assumption here, but clients have to come to you sometimes with a total mess, right? <laughs> like, here, figure this out for me. So yes. to avoid that for other CPAs and maybe even you for people who are hiring you, what mistakes are people making that we can do better in how we track and how we build profitable businesses? First and foremost, that shoebox me- method has to be obsolete. We need to <laughs> cut that out. In terms of keeping your receipts and stuffing them in a shoebox, some of my clients bring them in like canisters. I'm like, what do you even get? Where do you even get that from? Uh, <laughs> but the thing about keeping the receipts, receipts from 1980, literally, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? The thing about receipts, also, we have to remember that receipts are not printed on regular paper. They're printed on this paper that's a bit oily. So sometimes if your receipt is a bit old and you have it in your pocket or in your wallet and it rubbed against another item, it may remove the ink. And now we don't even know what the amount was on that receipt, what it was for. It's just a blank piece of paper. So for that reason, even if you do just want to keep receipts, I always tell everyone to digitalize them. You can go ahead. If you have, most of us have Google accounts, Gmail, right? Go into your, your G Suite create a folder in there that just says receipts. And then you want to also divide it by month, January, February, March, April. At month end, you can take that shoebox or whatever you put your receipts in and just take a picture. Just take a picture of it. You can download the Drive app right on your phone, go into the folder from your phone and take a picture and have the receipts be right in there. So just in case, you can always recall those uh, those receipts. Um, but essentially, receipts are not the only thing that you want. Again, it comes down to... Having the receipts, yes, but being able to explain what that expense was for, even if you go out to dinner, you the IRS kind of recommends for you to also write down who did you go to dinner with? Like, you're right, what was discussed? So for my clients, I tell them when you have meal receipts, you write down the date, if the date's not on the receipt already, who was present at the, the dinner, and what was discussed briefly. Maybe it's just, oh, Q4 financials. That That's good enough. Or it was a meeting with a customer and you discuss onboarding. Whatever it may be, you do want to be consistent because, yes, organization, filing your taxes and and bookkeeping is important, but having record keeping in place is just as sufficient because when it comes down to audits, that's what they look for. They want the combination of both, here's my numbers, here's what the categories are, and also here's the proof to support what I'm deducting on my tax return. So for digital entrepreneurs like me... So many of my receipts just get emailed to me, right? Because I'm buying digital things. And so one question we get too is, do I have to download that receipt and save it somewhere else? Or can I just like create a folder in my email that just says like receipts and just leave them all in there? So I would download them just because if you do eventually start working with an accountant or a CPA, it's a lot easier to just send them a dry folder of here's all my receipts as opposed to oh, let me forward these 10,000 emails and you figure it out yourself, right? So again, I do recommend having that drive, categorizing it by month. Some people go as far even, they do month and they break it down into here's meals, here's travel, here's other business expenses. Again, organization, As the more granular you are, the better. Obviously, most of us don't have time to be super duper granular, but the best that you can be will definitely help you understanding your finances and then showing and being able to communicate with an accountant or a CPA how you're performing and you know where everything's kind of going. This is not necessarily a CPA question, but it is a business development and growth question around 
when do we know when to invest in our businesses, right? When it makes sense to increase expenses to try to grow? Really good question. So literally it comes down to being able to make accurate projections. So most times once owners are in their first, second year, we now have, again, historical data to play with. We can literally go back and see how well we did and why. And honestly, I do think in your first one to even five years of business, you shouldn't be looking to withdraw profit anyway, especially if your goal for that business is longevity and sustainability. You want to be constantly investing back into your business. Given that, I would say it just comes down to looking through your performance and figuring out how to properly allocate those resources to maximize your profit that's going to come over. A lot of businesses that are huge giants today, like Amazon, Facebook, et cetera, they started with just every year, let's reinvest back, let's reinvest back. Honestly, they still do it. A lot of these CEOs of these multi-billion dollar companies pay themselves a salary that it's like one one hundredth of what their business is worth because they understand the concept. Things grow when you water them, right? So it's not, let me start this business. Oh, I'm doing okay. Let me pull out all of my profit. No, you want to continue to invest back because you want to continue to grow. So it's again, you look at your money as watering back into your business. The more you water it, the bigger it'll grow. And eventually those leaves will fall off by themselves, right? And this is this is something that actually does come up a lot with us. And so we have moms in our community who want to start online businesses, want to start businesses to leave their jobs, and they also need to support their families, right? And so they're trying to find that balance of, I have to reinvest, but I also have to live, right? right. I can't mm-hmm. take zero income for two years. And so do you have any like advice on handling that balance? I think because when it comes down to building wealth, even though like having a business or another type of asset like real estate or whatever it may be is a good plan. As you stated earlier, everything comes down to both, not just your business finances, but your personal finances. For that reason, there's always going to be a need to properly assess both. Given that specific type of scenario, we will want to, before you leave your job, number one, grow the business to a point where you're able to supplement your income. Um, But at the same time, you should also do some self-analysis and create a budget for yourself. How much living expenses do I really need? Take in consideration your rent, your your meals, your children expenses. So whether it's purchasing clothes for them, kids go through clothes like it's water, special snacks or whatever it may be for your kids. But go ahead and put in the budget so you can really know how much you should be paying yourself out of your business, and then the remainder of it can be invested back. The issue just happens when people are just, because you have your business account in your hands, like your your debit card, and you just swipe and swipe and swipe and swipe because you know there's money in there. But again, it comes down to readjusting that mindset to say, yes, I do have to pay myself something to sustain my living, but I am building something that's bigger than me and perhaps for my children. Focus on splitting that out. But again, it just comes down to mindset. So here's another question for you. Where do you see waste in business expenses most often? Because you're right. We get that. We get that business card and we're like, oh, yeah, swipe, swipe, staples, right? We need a whole bunch of new office supplies. <laughs> what do you see as like a, a place where people often are spending without a good ROI? I would say travel, right? And uh, I have mixed mixed opinions about travel. Because some clients will say, hey, I flew out to here to meet this one client. Oh, did you close on that client? No. 
So it's like, not that you wasted that trip, but could those resources have been allocated elsewhere? That's the question. Travel is like a mixed review type of thing because you don't, it depends on what you're traveling for. If you're traveling to close a deal, that's a different story. But don't travel for prospects. There's a bunch of other ways around prospecting and finding leads because we are living in this new digital age, especially with this whole pandemic. Um, so, <laughs> Yeah, maybe travel expenses won't be that high this year. And actually, they're, they're not, obviously, for most, for most people. The second thing I would say is advertising. Some clients want to jump into, oh, let me run these Facebook ads and spend 10K a month on ads without thoroughly understanding who they're marketing to. So I have an amazing client who runs this amazing digital marketing course. He teaches owners how to like really dig down and make their ads be super efficient and effective. You don't want to just throw money at advertising without knowing what your expected return would be. And I do see that being a lot of issues for a bunch of entrepreneurs, especially as we transition more onto this online thing. Like don't, don't just throw money on Instagram ads or Facebook ads or YouTube ads without making sure that you are actually targeting the type of clients or customers that you really want to sell your product or service to. So I want to move into talking about year end because we're all getting prepped for year end. And I feel like a lot of people are confused. There's been so many changes of like stimulus and what's going to happen with year end. So I want to talk about that. But before we do, any books or great business resources that you love for people who are just getting started to read to make sure they're not only staying organized, but also building a profitable side hustle or business? So there's this book called Fix My Business. I forgot the author's name. You guys can't see her looking all around. For the book right now. <laughs> I was trying to look for the book, but um, it's a book called Fix My Business. And um, it's by a lovely, successful entrepreneur woman. It's created for those who are like in the stuck stage. Like, all right, I don't, how do I grow? How do I scale? Or maybe you're like operating, you're just killing yourself. You're burnt out. It really forces you to take a step back and analyze what you're doing. However, I recommend that book for people who are new. Because why get to the point where you need the help if you can just learn how to just do those things now, how to keep a good work-life balance, how to stay organized, how to establish business credit, how to build the team, educate yourself on those things now so that you don't have to be those owners that are buying the book because they actually need it, right? (laughs) Um, So I do think it's super thorough. Like She literally touches on every aspect, finances, organization, structuring, team, team management, And then also yourself and about just how not to get burnt out. So I do highly recommend that book. Is that Melinda Emerson? Yes. You got it. (laughs) I looked it up for you. Thank you. (laughs) I have not read that one, so I will definitely have to to look it up. That sounds awesome. I think it's it's amazing. Again, just to, to read that book as you're getting started. So now you can know how to avoid these errors, like even with, me and I'm growing my business now, like I still fall into areas of which I'm still trying to improve. And I share that with people who are up up and coming, because if I can help you get to where I am quicker, why not? And I feel like she created that book to kind of be able to do that. Yes, such an awesome thing to be able to reach a hand back and teach new entrepreneurs. Now, today's the start of Q4, so I want to talk about year end. Before we do, though, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Are you ready for the money event of the year? Our free Mamas Talk Money Summit featuring over 40 of the best women in personal finance and business is happening October 12th through the 16th. 
We're going all out this year. We'll have live Q&A with speakers, thousands of dollars in giveaways, worksheets to help you take action on everything you learn, and so much more. We're going to be talking about everything from mindset and budgeting to finding passion-driven work and building generational wealth. Oh, and did I mention it's completely free? Grab your ticket now at mamastalkmoney.com and come talk money with us. All right, so let's talk a little bit about year end. What do we have to be doing this year? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This year has been super unpredictable, to say the least, for all of us. Whether in every area of life. Literally. And it just keeps, we keep thinking that it's over and it just keeps getting a lot more intense, a lot more intense. For that, like, even though things are going on, we have to stay focused in the midst of adversity, in the midst of confusion. It's, we have to just stay focused. So you as a business owner should focus on concluding your year in, in totality. So again, Number one, staying organized. You want to make sure that throughout the pandemic, throughout the year, you have documented how much you've earned, what you've spent your money on. And then with these loans that we have, like the PPP loan, if you did receive some funding, make sure if it's not you staying abreast of the situation, you should have someone on your team or a CPA or an accountant letting you know how to move because these loans are still like up in the air about forgiveness, but when it does get come time to submit any applications, you want to make sure you are submitting yours on time. I think my biggest thing for year end is really being super responsible. So like, yes, with your finances and then also with dealing with these loans and extra, extra situation that we kind of have dealing, on, dealing with now. Um, but then concluding the year in terms of analyzing how well or bad you did and then taking some time to sit down with yourself and then really plan for next year. Again, these things happen super unexpectedly. And despite this, I do encourage all business owners to still go ahead and like plan for next year because we have to stay optimistic. And then more important, we have to stay ready. You know, you don't want the world to open back up and you just were like lollygagging and just chilling. And now you're not ready to even get more clients or customers because you were just chilling in the background. So as an entrepreneur, the whole game is risky, but we, we are good at handling these risks because we stay ready. So if you stay ready, you never have to get ready. So um, I would just say, focus on concluding the year again, checking all your compliance marks. And then also just taking some time. I will say maybe last week of December to just meditate. If you are into that type of stuff, like I am, Um, And just really plan out your year so that you can just be mentally prepared to just take on what comes next. I love business planning. So my background is in financial analysis and I was like a hedge fund manager. And so all we did was forecast for businesses. But I know that a lot of people, they don't know where to start when it comes to business forecasting, right? Because they're like, do I just sit down and pick a number out of the air of how much I want to make next year. And so I know you help your clients with this. So give us some some tips on how to do a good business forecast for 2021. I've never got asked a question before, so I'm excited. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) A podcaster wins. (laughs) When it comes down to forecasting, let's just explain like what forecasting is, first of all. Forecasting is basically you coming up with reasonable expectations for your business's financial performance. We do that by pulling a vast amount of information from various 
streams. So whether it's your own historical performance, we may use a competitor's historical performance. So for example, I have a client that is creating a music app. To do his forecast, I did leverage some of the breakdown from Pandora. No, no, it was Spotify. Spotify, because they're public. Obviously, the data has to be publicly available. And companies that are traded on a stock exchange, you can go ahead and Google their, their 10K and see what their financials look like. I use that. The first time you open that 10K, mamas, you're going to be terrified. <laughs> it's a very long and very boring document. But just search for income statement. You'll, you'll find what you're looking for. <laughs> It is. Some of them are like 150, 300 pages. Yeah, I used to have to read. Like I had to cover 50 companies. And so I had to read 150, 100 page documents. It was the worst part of my year. Oh, no. Oh, no. But we want to take that information. So for example, in this specific client's situation, we were forecasting how much he could expect to make from his music company from streaming services versus advertising. Why not leverage a company that is doing that? How much does Spotify make from advertising? How much do they make from streaming services? Then we use that to figure out certain percentages. So if they make around 80% in streaming, 20% in advertising, we can now use that as our basis to make our projections. Then we also get leveraging your personal data. So for the specific client, we did his streaming service income projection, leveraging how big his base was now. He has around 15,000 subscribers, each paying around $5.99 per month. So now we can go ahead and figure out how we're going to scale these numbers. So again, leveraging something like Spotify, if they have been growing at a rate of 15% per year, we can comfortably grow our by 15% per year. And then when it comes down to expenses, again, figuring out how much that company spends on advertising. So now taking a ratio of income to advertising budget or whatever it may be. And then also for subscription-based businesses, what I just learned is that um, there's actually data that says that there's around, I think, 12% of users that unsubscribe. So now to figure out, even though we're growing our user base, obviously there's going to be a churn rate, right? Not all of them are going to stay subscribed. So we can't just grow, oh, 15,000. The next month is going to be 20,000. No, it's going to be 15,000 this month. Next month, you may lose around 1,500 of those people, but then you may gain 3,000. So again, it's go a lot goes into projections. As more detailed you are, the more accurate they become. They are not like, a, oh, this is what I'm going to hit. They do provide a reasonable basis for you to just be more proactive with how you're planning for your business. Most times with projections, we use that as benchmarks. We can say by Q1, we expect to make this much based off of our projections. And throughout the year, we'll just use those same type of those concepts to continue to track our progress. Absolutely. And so this is a great example for like a more tech traditional entrepreneur that you just walked through. But if you're someone like a freelancer or you're just running a small solopreneur business, this is basically just finding other people in your field to compare to and setting some some guidelines, some forecast of like, okay, I currently have five clients. If I pick up two new clients, how much will I make? And then how does that carry out through the year? So it can be simple on a small scale or, you know, really fun. And you're going through 10 gigs on a high level. That actually is, the, that part is actually fun. It's it trying to fun. figure out how much <laughs> you're going to make because it does provide that benchmark. It is so great to be able to have a way to check in 
there's so many business owners that, I mean, you, you have to experience this too, but I used to talk to business owners who were like 10, 15 years into your, their business. And you're like, how are you doing? And they're like, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What's your margin? I don't know. <laughs> and and it gives you a way to know how you're doing and before you get too off track. Right. Exactly. And it feels good also like with yourself. The same way we kind of set personal financial goals, you can now set financial goals for your business. So now you can just, you know, compare your progress and just use that information to just keep scaling and keep growing. So I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to hear a little bit about you and your business goals. And so did you always plan to have like an online education presence or how did this develop? So no, I'm super extrovert. That's just me regularly. It started with just social popularity, just people just talking about me. And then I started getting a lot more invites to do public speaking events. And that's kind of how I grew like my Instagram following base. My goal is not to, I don't focus too much on my, on my online presence. I probably can a little bit more. Like I really, I haven't posted since like July probably or June. It's, it's so, it's so bad. But the beauty about that though, um, which I speak to my mentors about all the time is that you realize how much more powerful word of mouth is than focusing on developing a strong online presence. I can have a 50K online presence have those type of followers, but a hundred of them will want to actually do business with me because it's a, it's a very small rate between your followers and who actually pays for your services. But to have a strong client base offline and do such a good job with the work that you're doing that people are just spreading the word just, oh, you need an accountant? Here's Shania. You need somebody? Here's a people CPA. Go to Full Love Financial. That has literally been the key to growing my business because I just focus on the work. I don't focus on trying to, I don't advertise at all, but every day I'm getting maybe five or 10 new client calls because the word is out there because I focus on doing the work. So I do strongly give that advice, especially for those who are just starting out. You want to focus on perfecting your craft first. Everything else will come after. It'll be rewarded to you. So the universe is like a, a give and take. The more work you give, you'll be able to receive a lot more when it comes to success in your business. But if you don't focus on perfecting your craft, you are not in the position to receive those blessings that are going to come your way, right? If you don't focus on creating great systems, you don't have the capacity to take on 100 new clients. If you have not sat down to thoroughly train your team, you can't duplicate yourself and provide the same services to your clients as you would by using a different employee. So even throughout the pandemic, I did take a step back from being online for a little while so that I can redo my processes, touching with my employees. I do have two now, train them, transition some work onto them. So now with the new systems that we have built, we can go ahead and do a little bit of advertising, you know, and then get some more clients. But again, the first part of it is doing the actual work. Like do not focus on advertising. Don't focus on trying to appeal to different people. Focus on being the best and doing the best that you can do for your clients before they even come to you. It's perfect. <laughs> it's just, I think we all need to hear that, right? Especially when, especially when social media makes it so easy to look at the entrepreneurs that we love and look up to and then just want to create their businesses, right? Like want to have their presence and we don't focus on developing our own skill and doing the reps. But you brought up bringing on two employees now. This is a huge decision for business owners, right? Is when to bring on help. Talk us through how you made that decision. That's a really good question. I haven't been asked that one either. <laughs> We are both crushing it today. <laughs> two for two. <laughs> two for two. 
This was a very hard decision to make. I spoke to my mentor, one of my mentors, I have three. She was kind of telling me to not hire anyone. She's like, oh, just see if your mom can help you out. Or maybe you should just like restructure your schedule. It's okay if you like commit some more time. Though working and making money is fun, having a life and living a life is a lot more important to me, you know, because as we've seen from this pandemic, tomorrow is not promised and I'll be damned if I die. And it's like, I lived a very unhappy life because I was just focused on my business, you know? Obviously, the first thing is making sure that finances were fine. So I actually hired somebody. Though I was super overloaded, I did have an intern and God bless her soul because she was literally my backbone for the first six months of this year. She did everything. You know, I compensated her, but not as much as I have to pay for a full staff accountant. Uh, but she learned so much. So she, it was mutually beneficial and she's so appreciative of having the opportunity to work with me and my clients. First was the monetary. So in those times when she would then turn was working and doing some of my work, I had a little bit more time to actually plan to hire an employee. And I do think in that book, Fix Your Business, she does discuss the process of decision making when it comes to actually building a team. So my focus was creating enough reoccurring revenue per month so that I can sustain somebody's salary, right? Like I don't necessarily have to be paid. I don't really pay myself much for my business, honestly. I don't really have to. Like, as long as my, my mortgage is like, I only pay $100, I mean $1,000. So it's like- You're going to say $100? I wish. Where do you live? I wish. <laughs> Alaska. Let me say. Even in Alaska, it's going to be more than $100. I know, I know. I'm sorry, guys. But yeah, so like my living expenses are relatively low. I paid off a bunch of debt, so I don't have no debt. So I would say a modest $1,500 to $2K a month that I, I, it takes me to live. I don't really buy stuff. I'm pretty conservative. So I analyzed that first. All right, how much do I need to sustain myself? Maybe $2K. I can live off of that. I can be fine. Perfect. Now creating how much would I pay an accountant? Unfortunately, accountants are expensive, you know, especially when you want to have another CPA on your team. It's very expensive. So I figured out, all right, if I offer somebody a 60K salary, let's break that down per month. I need to be generating a reoccurring amount of 5K a month just to sustain the employee. However, we don't, you know, we take risks, but when it comes to finances and actually bringing on an employee, because now you have that responsibility of taking care of somebody's family, you want to make sure that you have more than that. So my goal was to, to double that. All right, well, if I'm going to take on this one employee, I should make twice as much. And it works because now you have two heads, two heads that are hopefully, you know, focused on growing the business. And it worked out that way where I was able to offer this lovely woman a position. She loves working with entrepreneurs and small business owners. And she has the same vision that I have for FOLA. So she was the perfect fit. Now, since she's on, I've been able to offload most of the clients that I was working with, and now I can get and bring on more. Yes, I did take you know an expense increase from hiring her, but projection-wise, we're projected to not fully double, but 1.5 what we did last year, this year. And that's you know that's pretty good. So again, it comes down to budgeting it out. So you want to make sure you have the capital to sustain them. You don't want to hire somebody, go through the whole payroll process because it is expensive, and now you can't afford that person. You want to be super smart about it, analyze how much revenue you need to survive on your own, how much you need to pay them, and then what your net will be because we should still always have operating capital. Then you just go out and find a good person that has your vision. That's very important. We probably interviewed like 35 people. Yeah, we're super. And that's after like weeding through 200 of them. So it, it was crazy. 
But I was super, super duper focused on finding somebody who had the same vision as me for the business because at any given moment, if I need to kind of walk away or take a week off or two weeks off because just to get back to my mental health, the person who was working with you should be able to sustain and operate just as efficiently, if not better than you. Honestly, I forgot which of these entrepreneurs had this conversation, but he specifically talked about hiring people who are smarter than you all the time. Like you don't want to hire somebody that you have to thoroughly train and hold hands with. You should hire somebody who's going to be able to help you scale quicker, see the vision, get you to your goals a lot quicker, not someone who you have to like kind of handhold for a very long time. Yes, training is important, but if you're handholding this person for three months, you realize that you're really doubling your time spent, you know? So you'd rather have this paid somebody a little bit more for some more specialty and just to have a good employee. All right. I got two more follow-up questions for you on this topic. The first being your experience. So for service-based businesses that are scaling, what was your experience transferring old clients from you to your new employee? How did you communicate that in a way that they were comfortable going to a new accountant? Oh, that was so hard, actually. Because some of my clients is like, I know you're going to grow. I know you're going to be amazing. But can you just please? And it's like your clients have to understand that they're buying your business and not you as a person. In the beginning, they kind of were buying me because it was just me. But then now it's like my goal is to build a full financial company. I don't want to just be me doing work all day behind my computer. I want to be able to take vacation days. And I haven't really since. Greedy. We got a life, so I got a life to live too. So it's like getting that concept in their head that, all right, I'm paying Fola Financial. I'm not paying Sinead Wilson. You're paying Fola Financial. And it comes down to just maintaining that reputation of your brand. So again, taking time to hire people. Like it took us around two and a half months to find a perfect candidate, but she is indeed beyond perfect. And my clients, Love her. They probably love her a little bit more than they love me. And that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly fine. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I think that is a hard process, especially when you've built a relationship with those clients, right? They're used to working with you, but it's it's a necessary kind of growing pain, I think, to everybody's got to go through. So thank you for sharing your experience with that. The second question is more of an accountant hat question of employee versus contractor, what do we have to be paying attention to to not get ourselves in trouble as we're building our teams? So there's rules surrounding how people who work for you are treated because they can either fall into that employee hat or they can fall into that contractor hat. The reason why it's being picked up a lot more, I even have a friend who told me he had to like go to court to like testify for a company because they were paying him, like they paid him like 40K to work for the summer and as a contractor. And indeed he was an employee. So the rules are, if the company has significant control over how you work, they should be paying you as an employee. What do we mean by sufficient control? If they are requiring you to come into their facility to do specified work for an ongoing period of time, using their systems, their processes, their technologies, they have control over how you're working, a.k.a. you are an employee of that company. Contracting, on the other hand, is more so for like project-based. So if you think about getting contracted to be an event host and put on an event, that's a one-time gig. Like, all right, once I'm done with this, that's all. But how you 
organize the event, it's on you. You did it, right? What softwares you use to figure out how to put the event on, those are your ideas, your softwares. And then you probably have your own laptop that you did your own work on. Again, it's the scope of the project. It's just for one specific project. You're a contractor. So there's a super, I wouldn't say a thin line. There's a thick, a pretty thick line, right? Because that thick line is control. When you hiring somebody for your business, you can hire a contractor to be like a assistant or whatever the case may be. But again, it's you giving them a specific task for a specific amount of time and you're not controlling what hours they work, how they work, what they use to work. If you start doing that, again, you're exercising control and now they should be actually treated as an employee. Companies do this to avoid paying payroll taxes. I thought that out there also, because why a lot of people do that anyways, to avoid payroll taxes. So when you have an employee, you have to pay like half of their Medicare and FICA. That's a huge expense for some corporations. So why not try to pay you as a contractor and have you pay all of that by yourself? But again, it's not legal. Now, honestly, talking about the ethical, it's not even legal to do that. So just be wary of how you bring people on board. Again, you can bring on contractors just as long as you are making sure that they are indeed a contractor of your business and not an employee. And then off-topic question before we start to wrap up. The payroll tax deferral. I'm not going to call it a tax cut because it's not a tax cut. That just got passed. Can you explain what this is and what people should prepare for for next tax season? I know it's not entirely what you do, but just I know there's a lot of confusion out there. A lot of business owners are eligible to... From COVID, since it started, they wait, they defer like payroll taxes, aka having to pay that Medicare, that, that FICA, which is basically 7.65% of their employees' income, salary, whatever the case may be. So the purpose of them passing that law was to allow businesses to sustain a lot more cash capital. However, it's deferred, it's not forgiven. So that does not mean that you don't have to pay. Well, we don't know. They may change it. Let's see, because they've been changing a bunch of stuff. And if we're getting close to the year end, so they may change a lot more. But again, it's, it's deferral. It's not, it's not completely forgiving yet. So just be aware that you may have the responsibility if they don't completely forgive them. And as you would be paying that for the employees, you should have, have it in your head to save that specific amount. So when that liability comes back, you already have the capital to do so. Obviously, it's super hard. Some businesses that I work with haven't been able to fully recover. Like, you know, though they have funding and they have cash capital, they're still operating in the negative. Having cash and being profitable are two different things. I literally spoke to somebody about this this morning. It's important to kind of plan. And this is why cash flow analysis is very important. So you should be planning what liabilities you'll have to pay by year end. Um, Because what you don't want to do is not pay those and now have to pay a penalty or fine because you avoided those those liabilities. So just be super aware of that. And again, seek help if you don't fully understand when you see these news articles coming out about these programs and like tax deferrals. Speak to an expert and, you know, really thoroughly understand how it applies to your business. Yeah, I think it comes back to hiring an expert when you need it, right? Like, I think that there's so many moving pieces, especially this year, because it's been a weird year. So if you need help, especially filing uh, for 2020, definitely get that help. Before we wrap up, any last pieces of advice for side hustlers, for entrepreneurs on making sure that their accounting is in tip-top shape? I guess my last piece of advice is thoroughly go through your, your financial life. Like, you know, take a second if you need to print all your bank statements and physically highlight each business expense one by one, 
If you haven't separated your business account from your personal account, do so. I think that's a really good way to kind of segue into separating yourself from your business, right? So even though you are freelancing and you may be doing some solopreneur work, you should not be depositing that income into your personal account because you want to separate, you want to see how well your side hustle or business is doing on its own. And you do that by just separating the finances in totality. It's even more important for those who have LOCs or C corporations or S corporations, because even though you have limited liability with these entities, if the court can prove that you are commingling funds in the case of litigation, your personal assets can still be at risk. So it's very important to, again, separate your business from your personal finances and then analyze each of them on their own. Okay, before we let you go, we have to do our silly thing and we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. So the sorting hat is our version (laughs) of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. It has a number of questions about money and life. Are you ready for this? I am nervous, but bring it on. (laughs) What is your favorite thing to spend money on? Food. 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 What kind of food? All types. All types. Whether it's sushi, African food, Mediterranean food, Arabian food. I love to eat. I feel like food is like a communication from culture to culture. I love po- I love pierogies, Polish food. I love food, period. It makes me happy. I would for sure say food. I, I am all for a great fine dining experience, especially when you get the whole atmospheric presence on top of having good cuisine and then you have like you know good service to give you a good experience but literally the key to my heart is feeding me well <laughs> i was just gonna say no we all know the key to shanae's art now <laughs> shanae where can people follow up with you learn more about your business so you guys can follow me on instagram and twitter because i've been focused on that on that as well a lot more at the people's cpa so that's the people's with an s cpa If you guys want to learn more about FOLA Financial, feel free to visit our website at www.folafinancial.com. That's F-O-L-A financial.com. And again, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming. This was an incredible discussion about all things accounting. I hope we get to talk to you again soon. Yes, me too. This was amazing. Mama's listening to Shania has me thinking about what I need to go clean up in my business finances. I loved all she had to share, especially things to think about when growing a team. Proper accounting may not feel like the most fun part of running a business or side hustle, but it is critical, both to running your business effectively and protecting your personal finances, letting you save more on taxes and avoid expensive audits, because no one wants to get audited. As always, I've wrapped up my three favorite takeaways from this chat with Shania that you can take into your own accounting practices. First, there are financial benefits to being a business owner. I love that Shanae pointed out how accounting as a business owner and accounting as an employee are different and how our tax code actually benefits business owners. There's a reason Amazon and Apple pay so little in taxes. The system is set up to let them do it. Whether you have a full-time or part-time business, working to understand at least the basics of business finances and tax rules or hiring a CPA to help you can let you keep more money in your pocket to put towards growing your business or reaching your financial goals. And that's awesome. Second, track your revenue and expenses 
from the very beginning. Shanae said this so many times during our discussion, but I'm going to mention it once more. When you start a business, a side hustle, a passion project, no matter how small, keep track of your revenue and expenses. You don't need fancy tracking tools yet, but just having a simple spreadsheet where you jot things down will let you keep an eye on what's working and what isn't. And when you're growing and ready for that next stage to invest in QuickBooks, FreshBooks, or a CPA, you'll have what you need to get set up. Not to mention that tracking in the early stages makes you that much more likely to keep treating your business like a business, honoring the time and effort you put into your work so that you can make the most profit. Finally, focus on your craft. This may have been my favorite thing Shanae mentioned today. When you're starting a business, don't worry about the fancy tools and newest, flashiest marketing strategies. Don't get caught up in the social media follower counts and what everyone else is doing. Focus on your craft. Get really incredibly good at what you do so that your first clients will refer you to new clients. So that when that big break comes, an opportunity to work on a huge project or be featured in the media or buy another business, you have a quality product to share. Social media comments and numbers mean nothing if you can't show up for your people. So keep developing your craft. You're amazing and you've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Shania again for coming on the show and sharing her accounting advice for us. You can find links to her site, Full of Financial, and download your free Design Your Passion Project workbook in the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Shania, S-H-E-N-E-Y-A. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.